Hi, I'm Graham Abbott and welcome to Classics Unlocked, a program brought to you by Universal Music and Classics Direct. This is music written by a young man out to impress. The name of Ludwig van Beethoven is so famous in the world of music that it's hard to imagine a time when it wasn't. But in the 1790s, when the 20-something piano virtuoso from Bonn was seeking to establish himself in Vienna, the centre of the German-speaking world, very few knew who he was. Beethoven travelled to Vienna for the first time at the end of 1786, around the time of his 16th birthday. It's thought that he was intending to study with Mozart, but within six months was recalled to Bonn due to his mother's ill health. She died soon after, and this left the young Ludwig with the responsibility for his two younger brothers and alcoholic father. It would be another five years before he could return to Vienna, by which time Mozart was dead. But his return to the Austrian capital in September 1792 marked the beginning of a whole new chapter in his career, a career at that time based firmly on his skill as a pianist. But, as was common at the time, a virtuoso performer was also expected to compose. Such was the unquenchable thirst for new music from the latest rising star. So, Beethoven took lessons with the two most established and most famous composers available, Josef Haydn and Antonio Salieri. He became known as a brilliant performer by playing in the salons of the rich and powerful, and his two important calling cards as a composer, the three Opus I piano trios and the three Opus II piano sonatas, date from the mid-1790s. In this program, I want to survey Beethoven's early piano sonatas. He'd already had a set of three sonatas published in Bonn in 1783, when he was just 12. But the official 32 sonatas start with the three of Opus 2, and we just heard the opening of the first sonata from this set. Right from the start, in both the early trios and the sonatas, Beethoven seems to be doing a number of things simultaneously. On the surface, they're brilliant works designed for him to showcase his playing. But these sonatas are already very different from the countless such works on the market by Haydn, Mozart and their many contemporaries. This is most obvious in the fact that they have four movements. Piano sonatas at the time usually had three, fast, slow, fast. Four movement structures, fast, slow, minuet, fast, were the domain of bigger works like string quartets and symphonies. So Beethoven is not only trying out four movement structures, because at this stage he'd not written a quartet or a symphony, but also signalling to the world that he fully intended to go in that direction. And already at this early stage of his career, he was showing that the minuet movement was about to be transformed from an elegant courtly dance into a dashing, breathtaking scherzo. He was not about to copy, he intended to lead. In the first sonata, the breathtaking moment is saved for the finale, the fourth movement, which has the unusually fast tempo direction of prestissimo.
The second piano sonata of Beethoven's Opus 2 is a world away from the first in terms of mood, but its scale matches the earlier work. And here, instead of a stately minuet for the third of the four movements, we have a shimmering scherzo which dances along in a most uncourtly manner. Sonata of this early set reveals Beethoven's thoughts moving in yet another direction. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A piano virtuoso was expected at some stage to write and perform a piano concerto, something much larger in scope than a mere sonata or trio. And even if he hadn't written a symphony by this stage, Beethoven had certainly been working on concertos to display his talents with the accompaniment of a full orchestra. An early piano concerto is known to have been written in Bonn when he was 14. Only the piano part of this survives today. And the concerto we now know as his second piano concerto was certainly in existence in some form by the mid-1790s when these early sonatas were composed. The third sonata invokes the world of the concerto, most clearly in its first and last movements. There's not only virtuosic brilliance, but there's even a cadenza near the end of the first movement, something virtually unheard of in the usually intimate genre of the sonata. Thank you. 
The three Opus 2 sonatas were written between 1793 and 1795 and published in 1796. His next published piano sonata was written in 1796 and 97 and published as his Opus 7 soon after it was completed. Here, the piano sonata form is extended even further. For a start, it was published alone, rather than in a group of three or six, which was the common practice at the time. This was Beethoven's way of signalling that he viewed the sonata as far more than a piece simply designed for domestic music-making. The piano sonata in Beethoven's hands was rapidly becoming a major musical form, capable of expressing great and powerful things. The scale of the first three sonatas published as a group clearly indicate the start of this shift in emphasis. Now, with Opus 7, we have it. As if to emphasise the piano sonata's arrival as a grown-up musical form, Beethoven titled it Grande Sonate, and it is indeed grand. At nearly half an hour in length, it's also one of Beethoven's longest. With the benefit of hindsight, the deeply moving slow movement points to the incredible slow movements of Beethoven's late works. The composer himself marked this extraordinary music to be played con gran espressione, with great expression. The next sonatas, known as numbers 5, 6 and 7, were written between 1795 and 1798 and were published together in 1798 as Beethoven's Opus 10. 
So, for a start, these works were conceived at the same time as the great sonata of Opus 7, meaning that Beethoven saw the sonata, so to speak, from different angles. Yes, he was moving in the direction of large, standalone works. But he also knew what the market expected, and he needed to play to the market in some respects if he wanted to earn a living from publication. He continued to publish piano sonatas in sets until early the following decade. New works were written for different purposes, for a particular patron, for oneself to play, for one's students, or just for the domestic market. This is not to say that the three sonatas of Opus 10 are trifles, far from it. Even though the first two of the set have only three movements, all of them are important works, and all of them, like all of Beethoven's piano music, make major technical demands on the performer. The first of the Opus 10 sonatas also heralds another important aspect of Beethoven's craft, namely the use of the key of C minor. The music Beethoven wrote in C minor throughout his career indicates that something about this key spoke to him at a very deep and personal level. It's the key of the funeral march of the Third Symphony. It's the home key of the Fifth Symphony, still both in the future at this stage, not to mention one of his most famous piano sonatas, which we'll come to shortly. C minor always enabled Beethoven to write music of power, of great energy, even nervousness. And the opening of the sonata number five is one of the earliest examples. In the C minor sonata, Beethoven omits the minuet or scherzo movement and reverts to the traditional three-movement sonata structure of his contemporaries, fast, slow, fast. But in the second sonata of Opus 10, he again does something new. There are three movements, but this time the slow movement is omitted. The central movement is a minuet, complete with central trio section, but there's a catch. It's in a dark minor key, and it's not particularly dance-like. Perhaps it would be more accurate to say that what's actually going on here is that Beethoven combines the concepts of slow movement and minuet. 
So even in a work which on paper looks rather conventional, the composer is always innovating, always leading. In the third and final sonata of Opus 10, Beethoven returns to the grand scale of the Opus 7 sonata, a work in four movements lasting about 25 minutes. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The first movement is powerful and virtuosic. The second, dark and introspective. The third is a minuet rather than a scherzo. It's perhaps in the fourth and final movement, though, that Beethoven is at his most intriguing. It starts with what sounds distinctly like a question, maybe even a raised eyebrow, and it takes a while for the music to get enough momentum happening for us to get a sense of where it's going. And just when it feels like it's settled, it ends. Beethoven taunts us, he plays with us, and above all, he involves us in the process of the performance. Haydn and Mozart had that gift too, of course, but Beethoven takes it to a whole new level.
It seems clear that in the final years of the 18th century, the piano sonata was Beethoven's major vehicle for his development as a composer. In the years 1796 to 1800, he composed eight piano sonatas, each of which is an individual masterwork. But his next sonata, published as his Opus 13 in 1799, is regarded by many as his greatest piano work of the so-called First Period. In Beethoven's personal key of C minor, it breaks new ground on a number of levels. Here is a work, published alone, not in a set, imbued with tragedy and pathos from start to finish. So strong is this impression that the publisher called it Grande Sonate Pathétique in the first edition. Beethoven greatly approved of this title, with the French word pathétique meaning emotional or deeply felt. It has only three movements, but three are enough to say all the things Beethoven has to say in this marvellous piece. The sense of deeply felt emotion is enhanced by the first appearance of a slow introduction in a Beethoven piano sonata. Like the slow introductions to Haydn's late symphonies, written the same decade, this is no mere curtain raiser. The slow introduction is an entity in itself, essential to the main fast section which follows and in setting the tone for the entire work. The Pathétique Sonata, as Opus 13 is now universally called, is one of Beethoven's most famous works, and not least because of the way it opens. Patetique Sonata was published in 1799 as a single standalone work and assigned the opus number of 13. For the very next opus, 14, Beethoven published just two in a set. 
The two Opus 14 sonatas have much to recommend them, despite being overshadowed in some respects by the Patetique. The first of the pair, in E major, was clearly thought of highly enough by Beethoven himself to have been worthy of arranging as a string quartet, something he undertook two years after the sonata appeared in print. It's in three movements with a subtle yet undeniable energy in the first movement especially. The official slow movement is again dispensed with, as the middle movement is again a combination of slow movement and minuet. The finale is a whirlwind of pianistic virtuosity, and the spirit, if not the letter, of the patetique hovers over this music, as if Beethoven was trying to create passionate feelings without the tragedy, blurring the worlds of deep romanticism and fleet-footed classicism.
This sonata's companion piece in Opus 14, the Sonata No. 10 in G, lasts barely 15 minutes in performance, but it's a gem. There's an elegance reminiscent of Mozart in the first movement. It's music which seems to perpetually bear a smile. The second movement, on the other hand, is a set of variations. Beethoven wrote many stand-alone sets of variations, and not just for solo piano, but despite most being published, almost none of them were allocated opus numbers. The appearance of variations in the sonatas is rare. Here again, Beethoven seems to be always trying new things. This is definitely the case with the last movement, which is labelled a scherzo by Beethoven, but which structurally is a rondo, a common form for finales in which a theme keeps returning after contrasting episodes in between. So, whereas in earlier sonatas he combined minuet and slow movement, here he combines scherzo and finale.
And so we come to the last of Beethoven's sonatas completed in the 18th century, the Sonata No. 11 in B-flat, published as his Opus 22. This is usually regarded as the last of Beethoven's early piano sonatas. Certainly, it's one of Beethoven's grand sonatas, a big work lasting nearly half an hour. Every movement is worthy of comment, but to end our time together here, I'll focus on the finale, which starts out deceptively gently, only to build in intensity and pace as it progresses. Yet again, Beethoven shows himself to be the master dramatist. Such is the irresistible power and sweep of this music. We'll end with the conclusion of the finale of Opus 22. is one of the legendary names in the history of piano performance. He lived from 1895 to 1991, and his recorded legacy includes three Beethoven sonata cycles. The first, recorded on shellac, was made between 1926 and 1945. The second, on shellac and mono LPs, was made between 1951 and 1956, and the third, in stereo, made in the mid-1960s. The recordings used in this program come from the 1960s stereo set, recently remastered and re-released by Deutsche Grammophon. Technical production is by Tom Ford and I'm Graham Abbott. Catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.